Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Sirs and madams, welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Simpsons post-2001 to my 90s Simpsons. It's Justin Peach. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Really good. You have a real, real, well, bitterness toward that Simpsons I do. post-2001, don't you? I do, but I think quite a few people share that bitterness, mainly because I... I Obviously, we're in isolation at the moment, so I've invested in Disney+. Plus. Um, they haven't paid me uh, to talk about them, so I won't go into too much detail about them. But they have got every episode of The Simpsons on there, so I've been going back and re-watching all the old episodes of The Simpsons. I'm currently on season six, which is seen as the golden year of The Simpsons. And compared to how it is now, it's, it's not even a shadow of its former self. It's kind of so- kicking... The corpse that is The Simpsons. Wow. So you've watched every episode. I started on season three, which is seen as like when it started getting good. Because it was good at the start, but it wasn't as good <laughs> as it was then. And every single episode is just gold. I can't get over how good it is. And if you rewatch it now, you just think to yourself, how did they manage to make so many amazing episodes? But you didn't come here for the Simpsons, people. You came here to talk about championship football. There is no championship football. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. But (laughs) (laughs) you have come here to talk about the championship. And there has been plenty going on, Justin. There is plenty of news that needs to be discussed. So we'll talk about that shortly. We'll also have an 11s again. This week we're going to be talking about the best bargain signings in the championship We'll have squad goals again. Justin's picking the shit squad this week. I'm picking the great squad. And we'll also have a Craig Bryson pub quiz where we'll talk about a mystery championship footballer. But let's get on to the news first, Justin, because there has been a major update on what's going to happen with the rest of the championship mm-hmm. season. And it is a major update. And I can't see there being another em- another update as major as this before the season actually starts again because the EFL estimates it will need 56 days to complete the season and has advised clubs that matches are likely to resume behind closed doors. Its estimated timetable at the moment is looking like this. Players will return to training in the middle of May with football starting again in June. They would then finish the season by August and that's including the playoffs. What's your reaction to this, Justin? Because I put this up on Twitter and there was plenty of scepticism from our yeah. listeners. So what do you think? It's ambitious, ambitious, isn't it? 
let's be honest, I, I, there's a lot of football to cover in so many amount of days. You know, you, when you put this into context, you know, you, you, you're starting the season over again, aren't you? In the same sense that you would after a break in the summer, you come back and you get back into games. Um, players aren't used to playing that. From, from a break like that, players aren't used to playing that amount of football in such a short space of time. You know, you get to the middle of September and you've got a two-week break to get going again. Um, you know, recharge the batteries, etc. So I think I think teams will struggle. Players will pick up knocks. It, as I say, it's quite ambitious, but, you know, hopefully there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel generally. Um, and then, uh, you know, the football comes into it as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I've done a bit of work working out when it comes to how this is going to happen. So everyone's got nine games left of the season. Yeah. And that's assuming that there'll be two weeks <coughs> of those 56 days set aside for the playoffs. By my calculations, that means there'll be a midweek game as well as a weekend game every single week. Mm. Um, or the vast majority of weeks anyway. So it seems like players are not going to have much fitness heading into the season and then as soon as the season starts again it's going to be coming thick and fast and yeah. for a lot of teams there's still plenty to play for so it's going to be weird and a lot of players are going to be not 100% fit in fact I, I can't imagine there'll be any players who are 100% fit no. heading into the season actually beginning again well, it's pretty much what I said, isn't it? You know, this players aren't used to that much football, that much football in such a, in such a short space of time. So, getting back going again, it's, it's going to be difficult. Fitness isn't going to be there. You know, it's going to be it's going to be August all over again for teams. You know, when you when when they start start all football again, so it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah. Everyone's on the same boat. Yeah, I mean, the idea that most of the games are going to be behind closed doors uh, is look, look at how it looks like it's going to be panning out, which we did think would be the case. Yeah. I'm not complaining too much. I think if the season has got to finish, then that's one course of action that has got to be mm -hmm. taken. Um, yeah. With regards to football starting again in June... Obviously, we're not experts on the coronavirus. We're not <laughs> virologists. But do you think that is a realistic aim? It's really hard to it's really hard to say because for us, cases haven't started to dip yet. So you know, if we're being realistic, you'd say no for now, um, in the hope that it would. But as I say, it's so difficult to to, to pinpoint anything on onto that. You've just got to you've just got to keep your fingers crossed that normality resumes well the new normality resumes sooner rather than later for everybody yeah i agree with that from the way people are talking about it at the moment people who have a lot more expertise than you and i it seems mm -hmm. like there does seem to be some um hope that we are coming towards the peak of the virus which means that hopefully we'll start to see a drop soon sooner rather than later anyway mm -hmm. um but i've seen a few uh, people saying that 
before the football starts again, then the players need to be tested before games for coronavirus, which just seems to be common sense, really, doesn't yeah. it? Um, because you don't want players playing if they have got the virus. So, yeah, it seems like it does. It is a realistic aim, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, I think we've got to give our props to the EFLs. So I'd say fair play to them. They've got as much of a clear idea as us when this pandemic is going to be sorted. So they've tried to give us a good idea of when the season's going to resume again. And at the end of the day, all you can say is fair play to them. They've put a timetable in place. Mm-hmm. We'll just have to wait and see if it will come to fruition. Um, w- one final little talking point about this is what this will mean for next season. Um, I mean, we've still got this season to worry about first, but yeah. you've got to look ahead to the future as well because if they're saying that the season is meant to be finished by August, that is usually when the next season would start again. Mm-hmm. So how is that going to work, really? I think there'll be a bit of a break, not as long as the normal summer break would be, maybe four weeks and then they get they get back into it. So probably, I reckon, a six-week buffer of football throughout sort of September and then you start again but you know you've got to squeeze so many months of football again into a short space of time before the Euros and the Olympics so it's you know it's back to the war stuff again in terms of fixture scheduling you get, you're going to get the the coaches in the Premier League moaning about fixture pile-ups etc um, so I think maybe they'll bin off some of the cup competitions in the in light of it but who knows at this point yeah, I can definitely see that happening. If they want to end the current season in August, then they're going to have to give players a break at some point. And oh, I don't even know where you start with a transfer window. But Well, yeah, there's that um, as well. <laughs> I mean, if, for example, say Leeds <clears throat> go up, they can't be expected to go up on the Saturday and then next Saturday start the Premier League season again, can they? Because that would just be incredulous and they haven't mm-hmm. even had a transfer window to strengthen themselves compared to other clubs in the past who have had that opportunity haven't they so yeah, no. they have got to have some sort of break when a transfer window happens I have no idea but as far as I'm concerned they will need to scrap international breaks for friendlies <laughs> next season yeah and because they're a waste what? of time anyway aren't they no, it's, no one's it's going to be interesting for the Euros isn't it that well, the, the thing is, you've got the Nations League next season. So whether they scrap that as well. and <laughs> be, Well, the Nations League is deciding places for the World Cup, but it's only a, a, a small Don't number do. of places. So whether they just go back to your standard qualifications, I have no idea. But I, I think what you were saying about scrapping cups as well, I think they've got to postpone the Carabao Cup until the season afterwards. Because mm-hmm. that will massively clog up fixtures in the first half of the season. Yeah, something something's got to be done because otherwise you're going to have a ridiculous amount of games, and players will be picking up injuries all over the place. I think yeah, one final point on this whole thing is that I think this will massively benefit teams who've got bigger squads. So if you've got oh, yeah, a, yeah, if you've yeah. got a bit of a threadbare squad, then. <clears throat> 
I'd be a bit concerned about uh, what's going to happen for the rest of the season. Uh, right, let's move on then. Sky Sports News say the 24 championship clubs have decided to go it alone in discussions with the PFA over player wages. It's because there's such a difference in wage bills between clubs at the top and the bottom, meaning mm. that there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution. Yeah. It's kind of something we touched on last week. Is there anything mm-hmm. you want to add on that, really? I mean, yeah, it's it's a different... Well, it is a different league, but what I mean is it's a completely different league to the Premier League in terms of income. You know, we don't... Championship clubs have to rely on gate receipts and commercial performance more than the television money because there's not enough of that coming in. So... Yeah, not surprised at all. Yeah, away from the coronavirus for a sec. And here on the Second Tier Podcast, we don't usually like to focus on financial news stories because they're usually very boring. However, I'm not qualified. <laughs> I mean, not qualified. However, Reading's accounts caused a bit of a stir on social media this week after yes. they were released. They showed an operating loss of over £40 million. It's also showed that for every £100 they made in income, they spent £225 on wages. And it's worth pointing out that this is from last season. And since then, they've spent £12 million on George Puskask and Lucas Xiao. So their wages won't be included in that, meaning they might be spending mm-hmm. even more. And this just goes to show how clubs in the Championship are having to massively overspend when <laughs> they aren't getting the money back and it shows how much of a financial tightrope clubs in the championship are on no yeah absolutely it's it's a short-termism um fickle approach to to it um i am absolutely horrified by the latest accounts um you know you consider some of the clubs that are there and that they're overspending. I think it was Hull had the lowest um, with 50% of their turnover um, spent on wages. So it, it isn't insane. I think this break in, um, in play with the virus is going to change how finances and everything else is dealt with in football because that is the main concern of clubs at the moment and they need to step away from this short-term pot of gold that they're trying to chase in the Premier League. It's, it's not sustainable. Yeah, we spoke about it briefly um, in the week about um, clubs and how they're financially juggling around their finances. And it took me back to a quote that we spoke about earlier in the season from, I think it yeah. was David Sharp, the mm-hmm. Wigan chairman. And it's a quote that's really stuck with me that he thinks a championship club, a big championship club at that, will go out of business in the near future. Mm-hmm. And when you see stuff like this, I'm not saying Reading are potentially going to go out of business, but it does seem like that will very much be the case at some point because clubs are spending more than they earn, which well, yeah, as, you- as a business isn't going to work when you look at turnovers and stuff it's just ridiculous um it, it wouldn't surprise me until we had a brief discussion about it in the week and we, we just said if any of these clubs go out of business there'd almost be a well told you so sort of feel to it and um yeah it's 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 a, it's a massive worry for every club in the championship 
Uh, the EFL will appeal against the decision of an independent disciplinary commission to clear Birmingham City of a misconduct charge. It was in relation to an alleged breach of an agreed business plan, which was brought against the club in January. That got dismissed last month. Birmingham say the club's position has not changed and we will now turn to defending the appeal. Birmingham versus the EFL, the never-ending battle. <laughs> it's bizarre, isn't it? It's so bizarre. It's definitely going to end. And finally, this isn't championship news, but it kind of ties into something that we were talking about not too long ago. So Villa won't be allowed to play Tom Heaton or Wesley if the season were to return in the Premier League. Uh, They were both out for the rest of the season, but Villa took them out of their registered squads (laughs) in January, meaning if they are fit again before the season comes back, then they won't be allowed to play. Now, In the Championship, I don't think squad registration is as stringent as it is in the Premier League. But it'll be interesting to see if anything like that does happen. No, it won't. Because, as you said, the registration stuff isn't as stringent. You don't have to register. Um, You still have to register players for the season, but that's for the season. And there's no no cap uh, cap on um, 25-man squad. You know, these squads can be as, as big as, I think it's up to 99 yeah, but so. if you haven't got a certain amount of homegrown players, then sometimes you have to leave gaps. Or maybe that's just the Premier League. I, I think any Championship club will be fine, yeah. but the, the the Villa one is 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 marginally funny. It's just interesting to point out. Just thought I'd put it out there. Anyway, let's go on to the 11s, Justin. As I said earlier in the episode, it's the best bargain signings. So it's not from this season, and it's not from past seasons either it well it kind of is from past seasons but it's not in the history of the championship so what we're basing this on is players who are in the championship at the moment but how much of a bargain they were when they were brought in so it could be a player who's been at a club for ages but they signed him on a free back in 2012 for example yeah Um, and of course youth players don't count because they're not a signing I'm just prepared for someone to DM us later on Twitter saying, why didn't you include Jude Bellingham? He came through the academy. (laughs) Not saying that's always Birmingham fans who are getting in our DMs, but we'll move on, Justin. So we'll start with goalkeeper. I found this one quite easy because goalkeepers don't tend to move for big fees. So usually usually a contract will run down and they'll move elsewhere. So who have you gone with in goal? I've gone with Neil Etheridge. Okay. I wasn't expecting that. I thought you were going to say the same person as me. Tell me more. I might have forgotten the same person as you. But, you know, his career was pretty uneventful until he signed for Cardiff. Released by Fulham. Uh, went to Oldham, I think, or Carlisle. And then went to Warsaw. And signed on a free for Cardiff. And it was like, when he first signed, it's like, okay, where's this, where's this going, Neil? Neil Warnock. Um, but he was in the PFA team of the year that season, uh, I think. And uh, going into the Premier League, he saved, I think, three penalties, um, two on the trot, and um, he became an influential player in that Cardiff side. So, and as I say, free transfer. What a what a pick. Yeah, I, I think that's a good shout. I've gone with Kieran Westwood, mainly for the many years of service that he's done at Sheffield Wednesday, because he joined in 2014 after three years at Sunderland, which is an incredibly forgetful spell. 
because I completely forgot he was there. I thought he came straight yeah. from Coventry. <laughs> uh, but since then, he has been the best keeper in the championship during that time. I mean, it's all gone a bit sour at the moment because he's. it seems like he's had some sort of disagreement with management. Um, but <laughs> during those six years, there hasn't been many keepers who have been better than him. He's been consistently one of the best keepers that... I've been outside the Premier League. He's been sensational. There's argument for it. Yeah, Kieran, yeah, it? definitely. Who you got a right back, Justin? I've gone with Luke Ayling. I've also gone with Luke Ayling. Oh, Yay! Okay. Great minds. Um, yeah, I think it, I think it was around around seven hundred thousand that he signed for Leeds, and um, yeah, he's been a great signing. He's become a fan favourite. He's one of the best right backs in the league. The goals he scored this season alone have been superb. I don't think he'll be able to replicate the goals he scored this season. Um, he's deputised at centre-back as, uh, as well. He's become a real key cog for Leeds under Bielsa. A really good signing and great hair. Yeah, definitely. He's a sensational player. As you say, he's one of the best right-backs in the league. I'd probably put him seconds to Matty Cash. But he is a brilliant player. He is also, from how it seems at Leeds, he seems like a real leader as well in the squad. And when you consider 700 grand or whatever it was... For four seasons or so, he has been a really solid, dependable player at Leeds. And they've gone Absolutely. through a lot of transition in that yeah. time as well. Right, centre-back, Justin, who have you got? First of all, uh, I've gone with Daniel Ayala as one of my centre-backs. Oh, I didn't think about Daniel Ayala, yes. but that is a very good shout. Tell me more. Well, he signed for less than half a million. I think it was around 400,000. Um, and he signed in 2014 from Norwich. And since then, he's gone on to make 193 appearances, scoring 24 goals, which is quite high for a centre-back. Um, yeah. He had that season under Pulis where he got seven. Um, again, a ridiculous amount for a centre-half. Um, and he, although it looks like he might be on his way out this season, for, since he signed, he's been the most dependable centre-half Middlesbrough have had. Um, he, was, he was massive in their promotion. And, you know... As I say, he's been one of the most dependable players in that side. Yeah. Would you grand for a centre-back who was fairly regular at the Championship at that time? It's yeah. A really weird amount of money because you'd expect him to go for a lot more. And he was st still quite young back then as well. So, yeah. weird that he moved for that much. Uh, I've gone with Patrick Bauer, who oh, has been... Shout. Yeah. It is a great shout. Thank you. Who has been sensational for Preston at the back this season. He joined on a free after leaving Charlton in the summer. He, he had plenty of interest from loads of clubs, but he made a very good choice in going to Preston because now he has put together a very, very tidy partnership with Ben Davis at the at the back. And yeah, I completely agree. He, really, those two have been central to Preston's promotion push this season. I don't know whether it'd be without Patrick Bauer and the fact they got yeah. him for free is quite brilliant really uh, who's your other centre-back Liam Cooper Liam Cooper I did have Liam Cooper down but in the end I've gone for two free transfers so who's the real winner here have you gone three at the back then oh right no, no two free transfers okay two free transfers uh, okay so yeah Cooper's Leeds career was quite average until Bielsa came in but he signed from Chesterfield for 700,000 you know, it was a good pick. You know, some tidy displays in League One. You expect him to kick on, but as I say, he didn't really get going into the player he's now until Bielsa came in. Which again, you know, there's a bit of a theme here with with Leeds players. Um, but again, he's he's been he's been a very consistent centre half uh, at Championship level, and 
you know, he's, he's, his ability to play out from the back is, is, is taken on a new level. He's seamlessly fit in with a variety of centre-backs. He's played with Ailing, Berardi, White and Janssen in that time. I think that's testament to his ability to be able to adapt to any centre-half partner. Um, and as I say, he's been one of the most consistent players in the Championship. Yeah, my centre-back, Sol Bamba, which kind of goes mm. against yeah. what you were saying not too long ago when you were picking I, your yeah, one-season wonders. I still think he's in that category, but we'll, well the thing is, <laughs> The thing is, he joins uh, from Leeds. Uh, he joined Cardiff from Leeds in 2016 for absolutely nothing. And he was 31 by that point. So you'd have assumed he was just going to kind of be a squad player, really. But despite that, he's probably had his best years in football since joining. And his highlight has got to be when he helped Cardiff get promoted a couple of seasons ago. He was a rock and a leader at the heart of that Cardiff defence. And there was even an argument, really, for him being the standout player in that side. And mm. he has had a few injury problems this season. I, I don't think he's, he's only made a handful of uh, appearances. And it looks like he's finally coming to the end of his career. And it looks like he might be getting some sort of backroom job at Cardiff. But... <laughs> He deserves it because even though he's only been there for four years or so, he has been sensational since joining all those years ago for absolutely nothing. Who is your left back, Justin? I've gone with George Friend. I've also gone with George Friend. <laughs> it, it's it's an easy one. That is, you know, for five hundred thousand, he's been again going back to consistency. He's been Borough's most consistent player throughout the last decade since he joined. Um, quite easily one of the best left backs in the Championship ever. And a fantastic servant for Borough. Yeah, one hundred grand, which is oh, he's one hundred grand. That's how much he was for when he joined from Doncaster in twenty twelve. Eight seasons of top quality performances left from a left back. Yeah, left backness. <laughs> <laughs> um, he he has gone on to make nearly three hundred appearances, and <clears throat> during a lot of those appearances, he was the best left back in the championship, and yeah. did a fairly solid job even when they're in the Premier League as well. Mm -hmm. So. To think that they got him for that much amount of money is unbelievable, really. And one thing that I want to make, one point I want to make for a lot of the players in this, this kind of feature that we're doing is I think it's a lot more impressive when a player moves for, say, 100 grand than it is for free. Because a player could move for free when he's just running down his contract or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when someone moves for 100 grand, like George Friend did, then... The club who were selling him thought that's value. We'll get rid of him for that much. And it's, the club it's has good looked recruitment. Yeah, a club has looked at that and thought, oh, okay, yeah, we'll take a chance on him. So, I mean, my next player as well also moved for 100 grand and is one of the best players in the championship now. It's Ben Pearson. He joined from Man United in 2016 and he is the shithouse Perlo. We love oh, yeah. him. You love him. Everyone loves Ben Pearson, and the fact that <laughs> they got him four hundred grand means a lot of clubs must be looking back at that and be slapping themselves because he is one of the most influential players in the championship now. And you, you can't argue with that value because he really should be playing in the Premier League and moving for a million pounds. Mm -hmm. well, I say a million pounds, millions mm -hmm. of pounds. Yeah, I'd be pretty peed off if I was a oh, yeah, fan. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're, talking, you're talking a good 15 million now for someone like yeah, that. Yeah. 
I, I've gone with Ben Pearson as well. Yeah, unsurprising, really. Uh, and, and as you say, there, there's a big move coming for him. But not only that, he's a midfield destroyer with the ability to pick out some lovely passes, which is why I think he's perfect for top-level football. Obviously, there's his discipline's improving in terms of just fouling people. Um, <laughs> that's, that's getting better, and he, he's picking his moments, and I think that's probably one of his main weaknesses. But as I say, that's improving now, and I think he's moulding himself into a top-level player. And... Preston fans after this season will hope it's with them to be honest with you yeah my other sentiment is John Swift who joined Reading for free after leaving Chelsea in for free for free moved for free oh, I, 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 I might have picked him but I thought he'd have gone for a fee well for the quality of play you're getting you would expect there to be a big old fee but Blimey. no they managed to get him for free after he, he was released uh he hasn't always been pulling up trees since he moved to Medeski. He started off very well and then shown flashes of brilliance. But then this season, he has been astounding. Because some of the numbers he's producing just make you think, why isn't this guy getting talked about more? Because we talk about him plenty. Yeah. But he doesn't seem to get the same recognition from elsewhere. Because based on his performances this season, he should really be looking at a move to the Premier League, shouldn't he? No, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's such a great shout. Um, I honestly thought he'd have gone for four or five million, so I sort of stayed away from that. I mean, if he had moved for four or five million, then you wouldn't have batted an eyelid, really, would no. you? Because he's still only, what, 24, 25? Yeah. Yeah, he's still yet to hit his peak, so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Who else have you got, Justin? I've gone for Barry Bannon. See, I did. Th- Barry Bannon was the first name I thought of because I thought he moved for free to Chef Wednesday, but he actually hadn't. What was it's it? A million? Like, it's like a million pounds. But even yeah, then, you, you're but getting. I'm a... very tight, Justin, when it comes to my uh, yeah, but you're bargain get, you're get, squad. You're getting a player who can dominate a game of football. That is true, but still, I'm running on a budget here. That level of that level of player for that that amount of money, I, I think you're being too tight. But let's get back to Barry. He's transformed into an amazing player, as we've said for Sheffield Wednesday, and certainly one of their best players over the last what 10-15 years you know maybe since they're in the Premier League in terms of ability um, it's ridi- it's ridiculous he's he's unopposing small but as I say he can dominate games he's the orchestra of a lot of games yeah he is one of the most underrated players from the Championship over the past few seasons and yeah. has been one of the best players in the Championship over the past few seasons as well so you mm-hmm. get no arguments from me uh, attacking midfield who have you got well that's the formation I'm going with anyway uh, yeah, I'll, I'll settle with a four-two-three-one because I've no idea where to put this player that I've picked. Okay, I've gone with Callum Patterson. Okay, as soon as you said I had no idea where to put this player <laughs> I've picked, I thought, hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've no uh, no idea where to put him because Cardiff brought him in as a right back. Yeah, and, and he's he, played everywhere pretty much, hasn't he? And he scored goals from right back, so they moved him up to right mid, and he scored goals from right mid, so they moved him up, to, up front, and he scored goals there as well. And he's also played centre mid as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just no idea where to put him. He fits seamlessly into any position he's put in. And as I say, he scored goals from all over those positions. And don't let the grey hair fool you, Ryan. He's only 25. Jeez. Uh, he's brilliant in the air as well and has a fantastic celebration. Exactly. As you would have seen on one of our Twitter videos that we posted this week. How much did he cost? Zero pounds. Zero pounds. In terms of a transfer fee, he might have, you know. Not yeah. the other stuff, but yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, my attacking midfielder is Daniel Johnson. He moved yeah, he to Preston 
for £50,000 back in 2015 from the villa. When you look at it, 50 grand, that's the smallest fee I've got on there that isn't free. Um, <laughs> it seems... 2015 wow. seems like it was ages ago because it seems like Daniel Johnson has been running the midfield for Preston for much longer than that. Yeah. It seems like we've seen those dreadlocks floating around midfield for quite a long time now. But <laughs> he has been a solid player for Preston for all those seasons. And then this season, he's really stepped it up before he unfortunately got injured. Yeah. Um, but he is a, he's been central, really, to Preston's success mm-hmm. this season. They wouldn't have scored as many goals as they have without him. And goals have been a problem for Preston this season, but he has been one of the players who have really sorted out those issues. And £50,000, my God, that must be less than some players' wages in this division. (laughs) (laughs) You look at the players, some of the players that Villa let go over the years as well. You know, Daniel Johnson falls into one of those categories that certainly, at, at that time as well, I know he's developed at Preston, but they certainly could have used that added creativity under the last few years obviously not now but yeah yeah definitely well i think there's as you say there's quite a few players who villa have let go who they probably could have used at some point instead of spending mm-hmm. a ridiculous amount of money on them right wing who have you got there's no argument here is there go on it's pablo hernandez see i didn't pick pablo hernandez because how, how much what fee did you put him down as it was a free transfer See, I thought he was a free transfer as well, but I found a website that said he actually cost £2 million. So I'm a bit confused about uh, how how much he actually cost. But would you okay. would you have still put him in if he was £2 million? I think I would have, yes. Fair enough. Look at the player he is now compared to what he was when he was at Swansea, for example. He dominates games now. Mm. You can't... You know, he's, he's a magician as... Quite rightly, everybody calls him. He's a magician. Um, his ability—he's got better over the years. And how many players can you say that that are over thirty that they've improved after hitting thirty? Yeah. yeah. The, the interesting thing is that when uh, Leeds signed him, he joined on loan from I think a Qatari club initially, and then when they signed mm-hmm. him permanently, he—I think he—he he only had a very short-term deal, so they were clearly not thinking this guy's going to last as long as he is. I must have been a free transfer then. I'm not I'm not sure. The, the website that I was looking at is it seems to have a bit of a mixed reliability really. <laughs> but either way, uh, when they signed him it wasn't on a very long-term deal. And you see him now and he's still going as well as he ever has done and he's now got a deal until 2022. So he's still got plenty of years left in him. Yeah. Uh, my right winger is Jed Wallace who I couldn't find an exact transfer fee for because it seems like Millwall are quite mysterious in the way that they move. And I I struggled to find a fee, but it seems like, by most accounts, it's a few hundred thousand. So I'm sticking with Jad Wallace. They signed him from Wolves three years ago, and he has been one of Millwall's best players in that time. But this season, he has taken up a whole new level. We've said it on many an occasion. He is the most underrated winger in the championship because his goals assist record is sensational but because he Mm -hmm. plays for an unfashionable club like Millwall he doesn't get the credit that he deserves so when you think that he cost a few hundred thousand pounds and you're getting the return that he's given Millwall it's an unbelievable amount Uh, left winger 
have you got? I've spent a bit of money here. So have I. Have you got the I'm same player? Ollie Watkins. Oh, okay. I went beside Ben Rama. Okay. Because Watkins cost 1.8? 1.5, 1.8. It's below 2 million. Yeah, around there. But even though you, you, you... I don't think you can look past Ollie Watkins in any bargain side that you're going to create because for under 2 million, you're getting a player who's scored double figures in his last three seasons. He's been at Brentford. He's, you know... In terms of his, his mould, he's come from a left winger to a striker this season and taken on a new level. He's, he's been absolutely insane in terms of goals, movement um, and overall ability. And as I say, he's going to fetch 20, 30 million next time he goes. Yeah. So is there a better value for money signing in the Championship? I don't think there is. Well, you say that side, Ben Rama, cost one and, up, one and a half million. Ben and I can definitely see him going for 30 million or something like that in the future as well, if uh, Brentford were not to get promoted to the Premier League. Because he is sensational. You, you watch him and he is mm. a highlight showreel. And I did have Ollie Watkins in my side initially, but I uh, had him up front and then he got ousted by someone else who you might also have Go in on. your team. That's Chris Martin. Oh, I've gone with Chris Martin as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean... The thing is, I've criticised Chris Martin this season because I, I, I've been of the opinion that if Derby were aiming for the playoffs, then they need someone who's better than Chris Martin. But when you look at his career over the past seven seasons, which is when he joined Not mm-hmm. Derby from Norwich in 2013, over 200 games, 74 goals... In his first three seasons, he scored 15 or more goals in those three individual seasons. He was unplayable initially. And Mm -hmm. ignoring the goals for a sec, his contribution to the build-up play as well was ridiculous because he he was a man possessed, really. Everything that Derby did went through him. Yeah, I don't think there's a a better definition of a deep-lying forward than Chris Martin, even probably now in the Championship. He's epitomised that role over the last, as you say, seven years. He he joined Derby on loan in the 2012-13 season from Mm. Norwich. Um, And he only got two goals in something like 18 games. But even then, he was quite important to how Derby's build-up play was. And as you know, and since then he's, he's written himself into to Derby County history. He's in the top twenty top goal scorers now. And how many players, how many modern day players in the Championship can you say do that? Not many. And he's had three years away. Yeah, yeah. And um, he, as you say, he did have loan spells away after his uh, spell at Derby mm-hmm. seemed to um, seemed to end. But um, he has hung around and has come back this season. He's done well. But, as Ooh. I've said in the past, I think Derby needs better if they want to aim for the playoffs. But either way, you, can, you, can't, you can't ignore that Chris Martin has been an unbelievable signing. And you've got to say, one of the best signings in Championship history, probably. Yeah, there are players you're comparing to, like Jordan Rhodes, who have a high goal record over the last few years. But Jordan Rhodes' costs, his transfer fees over the last few years have been insane. Chris Martin costs nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Let's go to squad goals, Justin. This is the part of the show where Justin picks a crap squad and I pick a good <laughs> squad to look back on and have a little chat about briefly because time is getting on a bit. So, I'll start with a good one, Justin. I've gone for it. I, th- I think we were going to talk about this squad initially because you had to if we were doing a, 
a uh, feature about the best squads yeah. ever in the championship. It's the Reading squad from 2005 2006, the record-breaking Reading squad. They got 106 points, the most ever recorded in a professional league season. And they lost two games all season. Mm. There isn't too much you can really say because it is a sensational squad. And they'll go down in history as one of the best squads the championship has ever seen. And I can't see that record being broken anytime soon because there hasn't been many teams who have come close to it. You look at teams that have come down, I think Newcastle got 102 points um, when they first came down at the beginning yeah. of the decade. Um, and they, they were obviously, they were close and then they came down again and you thought the players that they had, they could break it. But that running, that running side was just another level of organisation, football and goal scorers. It's, yeah. Well, the thing is that Newcastle squad was made up of Premier League players. Exactly. Whereas this Reading squad... You look at it, and they weren't, and they weren't. It's not full of stars. It was carefully I mean, assembled. Yeah, I mean, the best player probably was Steve Sidwell, who went on to have a very good career. But a lot of the players in there, it was just a very solid mm -hmm. squad who all worked together and were a unit yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, uh, you've got Dave Kitson, who had his best spell mm -hmm. in football at Reading. Uh, Kevin Doyle probably had his best spell yeah. at Reading. It was a, all these players coming together and having their best spells in their career. I mean... Everything peaked at the right time. Yeah, definitely. Ibrahim Asonko, Ivar, oh, Ingemarsson. What a player. They're players that you don't really think of too often, yeah. but they both played every game in the Championship that season for Reading. I think... And, that maybe that helps that they both played together that much and they just have the same consistency because it seems like they had an 11 that didn't change too much. Yeah, you forget Nicky Shorey as well. He went on to get capped by England. Yeah. I, I want to say Steve Sedwell did as well. I don't think he did in the end, though. Mm, he wasn't too far away, no. put it that way. But it's a, an unbelievable squad. Not many of them have gone on to bigger things, really, as we were just saying. So it's quite weird to look back on now that this player this squad was just everyone peaking at the same time yeah absolutely yeah definitely that water squad yeah who is your crap squad Justin I've gone with Leicester City <laughs> the 2015-2016 Premier League champions no I'm joking uh, Leicester City from the 07-08 season um, it, it was a weird time for them uh, and when you consider what that team's achieved since then it seems a far cry uh, for what it was like um, and a lot has been made of that success so let's bring them down three or four pegs and remind them of the uh, the sour times it was a catastrophic season for Leicester and what was an up and down decade for them obviously they were threatened with administration and whatnot um, over the years losing Martin O'Neill etc the good times definitely went by now Um and uh, obviously it saw them relegated to League One. And they went through three managers that season. So it started in the summer when they employed, uh, appointed Martin Allen. Okay. Uh, he refused to sign Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, who signed for Cardiff instead, uh, and then refused to put in a bid for Celtic striker Derek Reardon. And this created fr uh, friction between Allen and Mila Mandaric, the chairman at the time. And Martin Allen left on the 29th of August after three months and four games in charge. <laughs> Gary Megson then came in, 
but he left after 41 days in charge to go to Bolton. That turned out very well. Yeah. Uh, unless they were left looking for another manager. But who was the man to come in? Can you remember? It was... Um, is it Mickey Adams or something? No, no, that was, that was before. Uh, Ian Holloway. Oh, OK. <laughs> he, he controversially resigned from Plymouth to take the job, but he ultimately took Leicester down. And, you know, it was it was a bad season. They were the lowest scorers in the league. Mm. Uh, even the signing of Steve Howard and Matt Oakley, bitterly, bitterly just still bitter about that uh, couldn't guide them up the table uh, and as I say it was a strange season but they had some good players Gareth McCauley Richard yeah. Stearman Stephen Clements Matty Fryer so some uh, big names I, in there but yeah, it yeah, just yeah. didn't work it, yeah exactly it was a strange year in Leicester's history poor appointment strange recruitment strategy but it led them down the route that they, they took um, to get to where they are now you know, Nigel Pearson was appointed I know he left Hall uh, and then came back um, Andy King was given his opportunity and Lloyd Dyer came in and he became a very consistent player for Leicester. I don't know why I put the Lloyd Dyer thing in there, but it seems relevant. Um, <laughs> and as I say, things really picked up from there. Yeah. I mean, when you look at where Leicester are now compared to how they were just 10 years ago or so, mm-hmm. it's quite weird to look at really, isn't it? And I suppose that's one thing every championship fan can hope for, really. Mm-hmm. If Martin Allen never... If if he was a success, would they be Premier League champions now? Well, who, knows? who knows? Who knows? Right, Craig Bryson, pub quiz time. Justin, this is the part of the show where Justin has a mystery championship footballer that I have to try and guess who it is. He has oh, yeah. made 200 championship appearances. At least 200. At least 200. And will have played relatively recently. It's six clues. Justin, give me the first one, please. I have made 326 appearances, scoring 28. That is a lot of appearances. I'm going to go with Luke Chambers. No. Good shout. I was going to say, usually say good shout, but I think you're teasing me. I thought that was a good shout. It was all right, but you're wrong, so it was a bad shout. Anyway, uh, I played for four championship teams, and one of these teams I played for twice. Uh, these include Coventry, Stoke and Derby. Coventry, Stoke, Derby. So when you say he played for four teams and he played for one of them twice, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to assume that that's the club that you've left out to try and trick me. Maybe. Coventry, Stoke, Derby. Ooh, uh, okay, next clue. I've played in the Premier League twice for Coventry and Middlesbrough. Bloody hell, so we're talking ages ago. Coventry yeah. and Middlesbrough. Ooh. I'll give you I'll give you another clue. He he played for he played one game for Borough in the Premier League. He went on loan, weirdly. Oh. And he came on against Liverpool. This has you won't get it unless you, you were out of that game. Will you? <laughs> uh I don't think so. <laughs> um but a little tidbit there for you. Okay. Um Okay, next one. I've captained Coventry, Stoke and Watford. Is it John Eustace? Mm, it is. Oh, thank God. <laughs> uh, if I, I didn't get John Eustace, I would have been incredibly disappointed. Because deuced. John Eustace John Eustace is a championship legend on so many levels. Oh, yes. We're the club that you went back to twice, Watford. It was Derby. Of course. Yeah, he joined, he joined alone in the 2008. 2008. 2009 season then 
obviously signed for him permanently five, six years after. And was pivotal to what was one of the best Derby sides from previous seasons. Yeah, I think him getting injured in the season that Derby were top of the league and then fell, mm. that was pivotal. He was, him being outside and getting injured, that, I think our meant us, went, we struggled and then we'd obviously drop down the table. Yeah. Do you want to two clues? Yeah, go for it. I scored a bizarre opening goal between Watford and Reading, where a goal mouth scramble saw the goal nowhere uh, saw the ball go nowhere near the goal line, despite oh, yeah. the linesman flagging for a goal. Did he score that? He scored the own goal. Oh right, it okay. came off him. It was in in favour of Reading. I completely forgot about that, but it's one of it's just a legendary moment that doesn't the get ghost, talked about enough. The ghost goal is that Stuart Atwell? Yes. Yeah, he he had a spell early on in his career where he seemed to be at the centre of a lot of high-profile gaffes and that yeah. was the highlight of them really. What was your last clue? Uh, I was named manager of Kidderminster Harrys but left the club to join the QPR coaching staff under Steve McLaren. Yeah, and he's still there he's, now. Yeah, but he was caretaker manager last season obviously. Yeah. and Guided them to safety. Yeah, he. I don't think um, too many fans were particularly keen on him at uh, Loftus Road but um, he is a very nice man and has a very nice smile. So well done to yeah, John. Yeah, he, does have, he does have a nice smile. Really nice shout. I should have put fair. that in as a clue. You should have, because well, actually, if you said that, I would have got him straight away. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Justin, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. As per usual, if you wouldn't mind giving us a little shout out on Twitter, telling your friends, your family about us, we would very much appreciate it because these are tough times for us all, man, and we all want to share the love. Don't we, Justin? We love sharing love. You're twisting your moustache. I just cl- I clocked it in the end. <laughs> it's, not, it's not looking its best. Justin, thank you for your time today. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I'm Ryan Dilks. I'm Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Maybe we feel all right. Maybe we feel all right.